Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of the Nursing Handover podcast. You have your favourite girls, me, Jerry, and the lovely Diane with me today. We also have a special guest who's basically come to give us his own insight to what redeployment was like for him, which is quite interesting because I think everyone has their own takes on it, but it'll be lovely to hear from Rob and, you know, for him to share what he's learned, the, the ups and the downs about it, and we can take it from there. Yes, definitely. So if you're a listener that's not from the UK, um, redeployment is where any of our medical staff, nurses, doctors, physios, OTs, speech and language therapists have all been taken from their normal place of work and taken into the COVID effort to support the intensive care and kind of support where services are lacking bodies due to sickness, due to COVID um, illness, people going off and just because obviously the influx of patients. So mm. we feel really lucky to have someone like Rob, who's kindly, you know, come on and volunteered his time just to share with us, like Gigi said, his experience, what he did, what he learned, and yeah, how it's going to impact his career moving forward. So I guess without further ado, Rob, if you could just <laughs> tell the people, you know, your background and, and then kind of just go into your redeployment story, more or less. Well, hi girls, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm, my name's Rob. I am currently a children's nurse working in neonatal unit. Um, previous to being redeployed, I was actually working as a children's community nurse. Um, and I've done that for about just over a year. Um, and prior to that, I was back in neonates um, as well. So I've only been nursing for just under five years. So not hugely experienced um, nurse. Um, I'd say you're greatly experienced. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. Well, <laughs> great experience. He's, a very good nurse. He's a very good nurse. I've worked with Rob, so yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll give you a bit of a background. So I, I am children's trained nurse, so I'm not, I'm not adult trained. Uh, but back in sort of March last year, um, I was in the process of moving jobs within the trust that I work at from, back, from children's community nurse back to doing neonates, which just where my passion is and, and, and back to what I wanted to do and where I see sort of my long-term career as well. And um, yeah, just because that transition was happening anyway, I volunteered initially, it was actually to go to the Nightingale Hospital because I think at the time that was where the top the publicity was of, yeah, of where they needed that, yeah. people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I spoke to my line manager, said, you know, I'm moving anywhere. Is it okay if I, you know, they're looking for volunteers, we get emails about it. Um, can you put me down to sort of potentially go and work in the Nightingale? Um, and initially, she, I think she was a bit shocked and <laughs> surprised, um, as you can imagine. Um, and I I'd obviously had to have a chat with my girlfriend and, um, and my, my family as well. Um, <laughs> my, I just wanted to let them know that I was thinking yeah. about it because I think it's, yeah. you know, it doesn't just affect me if, if anything happens. So, yeah, um, yeah, because, you know, especially at the time, you know, I've got a horrible death rate now, but I mean, it's... At the time, it was, there was a lot of unknowns, and I think it was probably a little bit scarier then about who might be affected and things like that. So yeah, sort of asked my girlfriend's permission, pretty much, <laughs> and I, all my family that was doing it, and um, because I've I had childhood asthma, and I occasionally have things like 
you know, get hay fever and things like that. Mm. So my mum was a bit concerned. She was asking me questions like, can you get your chest checked out before oh. you go? And I was like, oh. and I was thinking, well, I don't know what, what checks they can do to check it. <laughs> 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 if you're going to get it worse than anyone else, but uh, that'd be probably quite handy, wouldn't it? Um, but I, ultimately they were very supportive and, and, um, and sort of, they know what I'm like. They know that I'm that sort of person that will often <laughs> make decisions without really thinking about it probably, but also just, you know, I, I like to help other people, you know, the, mm. it's one of those things. So when I hear about colleagues or just other nurses generally that were struggling um, and didn't have the staff to be able to cope, I just thought, well, you know, not that we were necessarily doing any less in the community because we still needed to go out and do our visits and things like that. It just mm. made sense that I might be needed somewhere else more. Um, so, yeah, it happened very quickly as well once I mentioned that I wanted to do it. Uh, my line manager and then the head of nursing came and spoke to me and went, right, wow. much, we, 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 there's a training day tomorrow. We'd like you to go on it. And then you'll oh, start wow. on the, you'll start on the, the, the COVID intensive care units pretty much straight away after that. So we've taken you off your, we cancelled all your visits for the next, however long, you know, for whichever's been booked in. Um, so yeah, it was, it, it, you know, remarkably quickly. And then, so we, we did a day of training um, at the hospital, which was actually incredibly useful. You know, there was another sort of 20 or 30 people in, in the training, you know, spaced out, you know, new sort of like guidelines in place. Um, and it, yeah, so I think that was, if that hadn't happened, I, I think it would have been a lot harder because it wasn't as if they were teaching us how to be an intensive care nurse in a day. It was just, these are the things that might be different from where you work now. Make sure you ask other people for for advice. But here's here's a little bit of basics about basically keeping yourself safe, making sure yeah. you're acting safely. And um, so that was yeah, that was incredibly useful. And, and they'd done a, I think they'd done about two weeks of of these days of training just for different staff. So they'd had lots of questions asked previously. So they'd gone and found out the answers to a lot of them. So that was really helpful as well. And even stuff like the practicalities of you know what do you do when you get home? Because at the time. Mm. You know, people were being very strict about, you know, people were washing their shopping when they came back from the shops. So, you know, yeah. it was that sort of level of, you didn't, we didn't know whether it was um, contractable from, from contact and things like that. Um, so, yeah, they were saying, you know, what we do is we get in from the, in the door on the way home, a box next to the front door, we put clothes and all the things you've worn for a day and that, and then go and have a shower. And before that happens, you don't let any of your loved ones touch you. Yeah. Wow. And that's basically what I did. Um where, so I've got a little box for next to the door. I didn't have any sort of clothes that would... I actually you know, put, put clothes in a box, take it to the washer, put the washer on, go and have a shower. And, um, yeah, that was it. So I think when they were telling you things like that, that's, you know, there's sort of that eerie sort of calm before the storm of, yeah. you know, what I'm going to let myself in for now, you know. Um, I was going to just ask yeah, you, Rob, like between yeah. the decision of, okay, I've volunteered, I'm going to go, the head of nursing actually coming and speaking to you and then going on this training were you at any point scared like because the turnaround was so fast and though you had the training and stuff was an element of oh my god I'm actually going into the fire like I'm going into this yeah absolutely it was yeah there's I mean I'm even thinking about it now it's quite it, you know the, the how I was then it was there was a real scary moment um because again at that point when I was doing the training I didn't know whether I was going to be actually redeployed to the Nightingale Hospital as well mm. and, and there was talk then as well of having 
you know, using all the, the hotels near the, the XL and staying there. So, you know, from my, from my point of view, I could have been shipped off to a hotel in the middle yeah. of, you know, in the middle of nowhere. May uh, I ask if you were, cause yeah. yeah, just like you were saying, like they were thinking about shipping people to like hotels around the XL and stuff like that. But then if I remember correctly, weren't they offering like six week stints? So then would you have to be away from like your friends and your family? Yes, we're all still in London, but <laughs> something that's not normal to you for it to become normal. Cause I don't, I like me personally, I don't know if I could be away from like my partner, my family that long for six weeks. It sounds so minuscule to some, but do you get what I mean? Like if you're constantly I, working I, you know, in this high I mean, pressure was... environment. Mm. I think that was the, the big part that was part well, not I think not the not the scariest necessarily, but certainly uh, yeah. in the back of my mind was that being away from your loved ones or and just being quite isolated for six weeks mm. at least um, did feel yeah that was that was definitely part of the the anxiety about it. Um, but I think as it turned out, you know that didn't happen. The what happened on the training was they said that. The only reason they'd ever use the Excel is if they ran out of space in the hospital rather than staff. Because obviously you've got to staff the Nightingale and that wasn't being staffed externally. It was being staffed by London hospitals yeah, mostly. Um, so because our hospital had space, they made space by, you know, moving, you know, stopping non-elective, mm. uh, sorry, stopping elective surgeries and things like that. You know, they, they you know, had these makeshift um, intensive care units in other hospital wards, um, which is what where we where I got moved to. Um, so we went from having three um, adult intensive care units to having six, I think it was. So it was wow. it sort of doubled doubled in number, not necessarily oh, capacity. God. And that's where I was redeployed. I had a day of training, and then on the Monday I was supernumerary, working with alongside um, a general ITU nurse. And then on the Tuesday, I think actually they, they asked us after the shift, um, is anyone want to volunteer and do night shifts? Bearing in mind, I've been a night shift for about a year. Again, oh, I volunteered. <laughs> so my first shift. Oh, wow. On a, on a COVID intensive care unit, it was a night shift after being in the community, looking after children <laughs> for over a year. So it was, yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm daft for volunteering for things. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was... And that was just, and then it's just straight into it. It was, you know, full gowns, sleep gowns, gloves, you know, FFP3 masks, visors. And that was, you know, real sort of the high end stuff going and working in what was essentially a, a six bedded bay hospital, like hospital bay, which was normally just equipped for, um, you know, normal general patients, mm. you know, no intensive care equipment, particularly just the ventilators that the, the patients were on so a lot of the problems we had to do with the logistics of things was you know you'd only have one oxygen port on the wall so if someone started you know if a tube came out or anything like that you'd have to unplug the ventilator from the oxygen oh gosh I can't to even bag someone oh jesus you know there was one example of the sort of logistics of it some of them some of the devices didn't even fit in the wall because they hadn't even thought about like the, the the equipment wouldn't fit because the oxygen port wasn't or the air port wasn't in the right place they'd put a shelf over the top of it something like that so there's just some real logistical issues with it as well as this not being usually a intensive care ward so no one knew mm. where anything was yes it was I think thankfully I think I prominently wore my children's community nurse badge for the first couple of shifts <laughs> so that I didn't get too <laughs> difficult of it 
and ended up being a runner quite a lot for the first two or three shifts. But once my, you know, I'd say my face is really seen much of people's faces once my name was recognized um I was soon given ventilated patients on my own to look after how um, did you find that because coming from NICU you would have like some sort of ventilation training obviously it's not the same as like looking after a grown adult but how did you find the change yeah so I, because I've only ever qualified as a high dependency neonatal nurse I hadn't really mm. done a lot of ventilation at all um okay. just very basic stuff um but what I did do was uh, an online course just off my own bat, um, just to find out about ventilation and, and how it works. I mean, really a lot of that was aimed at um, like things like that. So that, you know, that's, that's what it was based on because that's what they thought that um, uh, COVID was going to be like. And obviously it didn't turn out like that, but a lot of the initial in, uh, interventions that we do with the ventilators were similar to those. So I did look at, yeah, I probably spent about three afternoons, you know, watching tutorials online and things like that. Wow. It doesn't really, <laughs> I just can imagine, you know, people train for years to, to become intensive care nurses. So having to get to grips with it in sort of a couple of shifts or whatever was, was, was tricky. So, yeah, I think the most, and those first few days and weeks were obviously the most difficult because they were when, you know, the, it was just around the, the peak, the first peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was and no one knew where anything was everyone was new to it so you'd have a bay of six you know people on ventilators or on uh you know CPAP or BiPAP um you'd have maybe one two or three actually trained intensive care nurses and then two or three uh, other nurses there as well and you'd stay in the room you know basically Apart from a morning, you've got basically a morning break of half an hour, your lunch break of an hour, and an afternoon break of half an hour. And every all the time between that, you were fully gowned up with your mask and, and uh, visor, hairnet often, gloves on. And it was, yeah, it was, that's when it was probably the scariest part because uh. with anyone. So you were just often just getting on with the job. So, it's, you know, it's bad enough sometimes, you know, it's a difficult situation as enough as it was you know, not really knowing what to do, but what would normally happen is if you'd ask one of the IT nurses to just come and do it, so you'd obviously, you were learning from watching them quite a lot of the time, or you just just point at your patient, <laughs> point at the monitor, <laughs> just drop to 30, um, and things like that. So it was, yeah, there wasn't a lot of, it's not exactly, it was sort of eerie because you weren't really chatting to each other. Mm. Of an half hour shift, barely saying anything to anyone and just, so basically concentrating on on your patient and I think it just it felt I don't know it just felt dark and it felt like closed in it was quite you know if you're claustrophobic I imagine it would be you know difficult to deal with and you know it, it moved on and it was sort of quite hot weather as well so you're often you know you've got 12 bodies in a very small hospital bay it gets very warm especially yeah. with big I can imagine uh, so yeah it was a very unusual situation um but i think the the itu nurses were just so good they were incredible because for them obviously the pressure is very high it's that they're the ones that you know know what they're doing and should be telling us what to do but they were so good with it they were so sort of um helpful and and appreciative as well you know because it was basically me a children's community nurse 
three endoscopy nurses and a couple of ITU nurses. And it, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's difficult to work with. You know, one of the guys mm. that had been an endoscopy nurse for 30 years and he was close to retirement and he'd been moved across. You know, I, I volunteered, but most people obviously didn't. You know, he actually just, moved him across, really, when he's close to retirement. <laughs> that's, that's, that's sad. Yeah. <laughs> the, because it closed, they stopped doing endoscopy. So it was, there's, you know, yeah, he's well, like a spare body, so we yeah. have to use him. Um, so I think he was a bit better at saying, can I not have a ventilated patient, things like that. And, mm. um, whereas I think, you know, you look around and you realise that someone's going to have to have a ventilated patient, you might as well. Yeah. rather it be someone want to do it than not doing it. Um, as you did, you ever, did you ever feel you could say no to a certain workload? If you could assess it and you thought this is going to be too much for me, did you feel you, you could? Yeah, I think it's difficult on that because I think he, I think it was all, you know, I think the, the line where you'd normally say no to things had moved, shifted a lot because mm. you just had to. Mm. I think you that sometimes. Have no choice. Yeah. So when you're looking around thinking, you know, because you wouldn't look, we'd go to one of the ITU intensive care units and and then get told where which, which unit you'd be working on. So often I worked in sort of five or six different units in the time I was doing it. So, uh, yeah, and, and often the nurses that were in charge wouldn't know who was turning up and how many. So yeah. it was difficult to say, you couldn't really say no, because it's like, well, if you don't do it, that person, you know, <laughs> no one yeah, else is yeah, going to exactly. be able to do it. So. You're there to do this job and that's what you've essentially volunteered yourself for. So you prepared yourself for every eventuality, more or less. But so that, again, that was, that was, hard when you sort of would turn up and you didn't know who you're working with or how many people or what the patients would be like whether they'd be very acute or sometimes one of the units I worked on was often people that were you know on the mend that were improving yeah. um, so they had just been extubated or were due to just you know to be extubated um, and that was you know that was better obviously that was much easier there's certain intensive care units that you know were worse than others because they would have the very acutely unwell people that run filters and you know when broned and you know we're, we're not in a good way at all um but you know work there I mean I didn't even know I never even heard of a filter before and you know two or three weeks into working there I was given a patient on a ventilator and a filter and basically change these bags of liquid every now and again when it beeps wow. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah it's I think that's probably the darker side of it. That was a very sort of difficult first few days and weeks of, of being there. Um, and just not knowing if you'd miss something as well. I mean, thanks. Mm. I, I'm incredibly lucky that none of the patients I worked directly with died sort of well. I was on shift, which was good. But if you're in a room of six people, you'd often have, you know, someone could have died in the corner, you won't even notice because it was there. Oh, wow. That's awful. Ah, uh, yes. So yeah, um, I was saying about I think the, the sort of the difficulty with in some of the rooms when you were working there was that someone could have died in the room and you wouldn't really have noticed just because it was so intense and so sort of mm. you know there's you, I was concentrating so much on on my patient and, and getting everything right that you know it could happen in you know someone else and. Um, you wouldn't even notice that. And when I was 
I was redeployed with another pediatric nurse who had a very difficult time um, and is still being affected by it, who's had, had to have time off work. And, um, you know, I was saying that I'm just very lucky that I had a positive experience on the whole and that I was lucky not to sort of, lucky to work with good people, lucky to have been supported. Um, and actually, in the end, you know, as, as the numbers were improving, um, I ended up working on a general intensive care unit, adult general intensive care unit. They didn't have COVID patients for another month, six weeks. <laughs> so, oh, wow. And that was, <laughs> so that was interesting. So I was often given the, the bigger gentlemen that were just getting extubated because they were often aggressive. Um, <laughs> oh, you'll, you'll do that. Um, <laughs> um, you know, and again, that was eye-opening because, you know, we went from having a very, you know, similar patient, you know, this patient's here because they've got yeah. COVID and that's that's it. You know, you know, they need ventilation. They're, you know, they're not, breathing's not very really good. They've got to get blood clots because obviously that's another secondary symptom. Mm. You know, they often sadly have uh, diarrhea and things like that, which often made things very difficult. Well, at least it was, it was just that, you know, that's what it was. We knew what it was, mm. you know, you can look out for the things, but generally you've got a similar set of things and similar set of drugs to give, similar set of, you know, settings yeah. on a ventilator. Yeah. And I went from that to looking after patients that had aneurysms on a neurointensive care unit and oh or been in a been in a car crash or had thrown themselves off a bridge or, or you know, uh, looked after um, prisoners from the local prisons as well so oh my god again a lot of people and I think obviously it's probably a mark of the time that there's a lot of people that attempted suicide things Mm. like that as well so but just it just brought in lots of different things (laughs) also didn't know much about as well so yeah like yeah so actually on my very last shift in working in intensive care I looked after a ventilated patient that, that had been you know, attempted suicide and had broken nearly every bone in his body and broken spine. Um, oh, wow. And I, yeah, and I was, I was like, oh, didn't give me an easy shift on my last one. <laughs> um, yeah. And it was, yeah, I think, you know, when we started with the training and things like that, we were told, you know, you, you probably won't have to look after a ventilated patient on your own. You know, you won't be expected to and this, that, and the other. And then obviously, you know, those goalposts soon moved. Um, <laughs> but then, don't you think that's nursing in general? You're given, like, a, like a baseline, like, this is what it is. But once you get in the thick of it, like that's you said, you almost, yeah, and almost, if you're faced with a situation and you kind of think, well, I'm here, I'm a body, I mm. have to do this, I have to pick it up, I have to learn it, and I have to learn it quickly. Yeah, yeah, and that's, and that's, that's basically it. I mean, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to think I acted safely and everything I did, but often you you don't know what you don't know. So, I mean, on every every opportunity, every time there was even any doubt in my mind, I was always asking the nurses around me. And I think that's what helped them to be more comfortable with me is that mm-hmm. I knew that I was going to ask every time and I'd ask boring questions and ask the same question over again. I'd, you know, ask what might be very simple things to them. But I think that meant that they felt that, you know, they didn't have to keep an eye on me as much because they knew I was yeah. going to ask him. Yeah, definitely. Can I just ask, how long were you in intensive care for? Like, I know you went to different parts, but how long were um, your redeployment stints? I did nearly four months. Um, 
I yeah. just think the experience that you got working in the different forms of ICU is yeah. it's priceless. Obviously, yeah. not due to the type. Like, obviously, if Ugh. COVID hadn't happened, you may not have gone there. But even with COVID happening and you've been able to be exposed no, to such to such things, it must be eye-opening and, if anything, broaden your horizon of nursing and yeah. what you may want to do. I think definitely, I think that's the case. I think I've had a very intense amount of training, essentially, and experience in a very yeah. short amount of time. You know, I've you know, got to take some positives out of the whole situation and, and I thankfully have been able to sort of, you know, apply some of the things I know from there. And, you know, I've, yeah, I mean, I'm, the stuff I know now that I would never have had a chance of knowing in a million years if mm. I just stayed in, in paediatrics and, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll be a better nurse for it. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's what, you know, that's what you want to, you want to happen, isn't it? And but yeah, I mean, I didn't even really know what an aneurysm was before. <laughs> I didn't know. What, <laughs> no, I mean, I don't want to t- sort of disgust you too much, but I didn't even know what Melina was. I mean, no, but I think if you have never seen it or never heard of it, you would never know <laughs> what that is. No, I certainly do, and I never forget that smell. Um, oh. <laughs> some, of, some of the sights and smells, uh, yeah, probably better uh, forgotten. I was going to ask, has has being there and having this experience, has it ever made you think, I want to go and do an, an I, I want to go and be an adult nurse? Or you has it firmly reaffirmed that yes, I made the right choice to be a pediatric nurse? I think I was certainly curious about it, but I think you know it's not as easy transition to go over to adult nursing for children. I think you've got to go and do another sort of 18 months at, at university. And so I think that's a big barrier. So I didn't want to get too bogged down with thinking that. It certainly opened my eyes to to what it's like. I did enjoy a lot of the care for the for the, uh, the adult population it was you know having nice old ladies to chat to and things like that you don't obviously get that in, in the units um there's a guy that had actually uh i think the doctor himself who um was intubated but not sedated so he was up here right on his board uh, um and he was a big guy he's really personality and you know I spent quite a few days with him and then one day he just decided to extubate himself because he thought it was around the right time <laughs> so, wow. that was interesting um and he was right he you know he wasn't great but he you know <laughs> tried to get CPAP on him he didn't want that but, but yeah you don't get those sorts of conversations often you know it's the recovering patients that you can often deal with that are interesting mm. um it certainly yeah it certainly made me think about it I was I was often getting text messages from various senior nurses in, in intensive care asking if I was adult trained because they were trying to sort of upskill as many people as possible, I think. And mm. I think I had the right attitude for, for the job in that, you know, as I was often asking if, the, you know, to make sure I was safe. That's the thing. I always wanted to make sure I was doing everything as safe as I knew as it possibly could be, you know. Um, so I think that was, and I, you know, I would come in with a positive attitude and I would leave hopefully with a positive attitude and I would, you know, always want to be helping other people. You know, you got often have to be helping other people because it's not like babies where you can turn someone over with one hand. You yeah. Know, it's, it's a four or six person job often. So you got, and I'd often look in and just help where I could. Mm. Um, so I think that that got sort of picked up and I think they were trying to get people to become intensive care nurses that hadn't previously. But yeah, as soon as they said that I was uh, paediatric trained, they were like, oh, never mind. <laughs> 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 yeah um 
but yeah, I think it, 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 it's just too big a barrier. I think so. I didn't get mm. caught up on that. Well, even so, you've got great you've got great skills that you've learned from ICU that you could use anywhere in any field that you wanted to go into. To be honest, yeah, that's yeah, definitely. I think there's um, it's made me because I'm sorry, work, working in in the NSA unit at the moment, and just with the view of starting in the intensive care course there. So I've done a few shifts in intensive care. I think just because I've sort of been exposed to that environment, you know, although. It was adults based. It did make it less daunting and a little bit less scary. And I think if you, you know, the idea of doing the ITU course now, having worked in an intensive care unit you know, for three or four months already, it does seem less daunting and less a little bit more, yeah, more realistic that I'll be able to do it. Um, yeah, you'll, yeah be, you'll you'll be good in Nicky. You'll manage definitely. You'll manage. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. I think. As I say, generally a positive experience, but I know it hasn't been for everyone, and I know that's mm. there's a lot of people out there that I think probably are still struggling. You know, I I I, I could have been one shift away from being not as positive experience. You know, it only takes mm. one shift for, for you to do something or feel like you've not done something right or whatever, and and, and things can go the other way. Um, you know, we yeah, when you're surrounded by so much death. Mm. It, it can affect you and I, you know who knows I, I think I was quite lucky because I um say I keep saying I was lucky but <laughs> I don't know what it is shortly before starting an intensive care unit um I'd been to counselling at work um because of the death of one of the children that I looked after mm-hmm. um and I, and I think that helped a lot I'd done sort of five or six sessions with one of the counsellors and I think that was almost like you know uh, preemptive sort of help that I managed to clear out any demons. Yeah, yeah definitely. Before going there, so that I was in a better mental sort of health state before I even started, which I think was you know looking back on as it was invaluable, really. Um, and I think that's something that I've said since is that I would ask anyone that's struggling at all. I didn't, you know, I didn't think I wasn't struggling a lot. I just was struggling a bit. I thought, you know, that's what the counselling service is there for that. So yeah. let's go along. And it, it did help me a lot, actually, you know. Um, so I think I was probably started in a better place than, than a lot of people as well, because, and I think that's that's helped. Um, I think that I was chatting earlier about sort of, you know, the, the first few days being the, the most difficult, but I think the, the very, the, a lot of the time you could sort of, you know, close off what was going on and yeah. almost think of these people not as people. I know that sounds incredibly, you know, insensitive, but I think you've got to do that a little bit. You've got to sort of distance yourself a little bit from the patients because, you know, mm. there's such a high percentage that are dying that you, you couldn't cope with if you were sort of becoming attached and things like that. Yeah. yeah. And that was fine until, well, this is, I'm probably going to get so upset talking about this because it's the, the difficult time. Um uh, there was a cleaner that used to work on our children's wards and uh, he was in intensive care in the bed opposite me. And oh, it was just... Wow. Oh, God. Hit home. Um, and then I he died. I'm so sorry to hear. Just, no. So I think that was... That's probably the... That was the hardest moment, just seeing him... Mm. Seeing him sort of pretty much every day for a year said hello to him he's always said hello boss you know chatting to him and then seeing him on a ventilator you know struggling it sort of 
yeah, I think that's when it, it sort of it sort of hits home that every woman that's in there is someone that knows someone that's yeah. loved yeah. as a family and and you know that's when it sort of yeah it, it sort of brought everyone in to focus that I looked after but you know um so yeah I think that that was definitely the hardest day and that was definitely the hardest moment was just seeing him there and but then you've got to get on with your job as well. So it's, yeah. it's but it's like you said, it's very difficult. Like if you were to become attached to all your patients that you have, it would make, I'm guessing, redeployment or working in such a high pressured environment very, very difficult. Because yeah. it's like you it's like I see you, okay, you know there's there's chances that people may not come out alive, and there is chance that people will come out alive. And it's like you just don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what the day or the shift is going to entail. And it's like, okay, yes, you're with your patient for 12 hours or so. And depending on how conscious they are, you can build that rapport with them. And it's just like, for me, I just think about it. Like I probably would be all over the floor personally, because I don't, I, if I've got a patient for that long, by the end of the day, we'll be best friends. So I just know for me that must be that would be so difficult. So I can't even imagine yeah. what you were going through. It was, yeah. I think it'd only take you to look after the same patient again another day, and that's you do feel like, oh, he's my patient now, and that's you know, mm. that's it. Um, I think I was probably a bit lucky that I got moved around a lot as well, so I didn't sort of, you know, I didn't get, you know, there's a few. Yeah, I didn't build those attachments to, to say. Yeah. Generally, it was um, I was moved around a lot. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, you know, when I said it earlier, it sounds harsh to, to sort of detach yourself, but I think you've got to. I think that's, you know, we talk about sometimes, especially in nursing and in, uh, in healthcare in general, about compassion fatigue um, and, you know, that feeling of not caring. I think that's because you've cared too much at some point. I think you've got to balance that, right? Otherwise, yeah. you will end up with compassion fatigue. You've got to balance that. Definitely. Um, and I think what uh, what came out of the counselling, which I think was really good, is that, you know, and it wasn't about necessarily that, um, you know, I, I went about the, the child death that I was not sort of particularly um, related to. It was a child I'd looked after previously, but um, not while I was there. But, you know, the, it, it felt like an injustice, and I think that's sometimes how we feel. And I think in healthcare, we're all often aiming for that 100%. You know, everyone yeah. has to get everything right all the time. Yeah. And if you make a mistake at all, you know, you you know that's the end, and that's you know it's terrible. Everyone should be getting everything right all the time. Mm. And actually, counselor said to me, "This is the only profession that feels like that." Everyone else, you know, if you do eight percent of the time, you get it right, you'd be one of the best in your in your field. Mm. And I think that's what it sort of opened my eyes to that is that not that anyone wants to make a mistake, but it's human to make mistakes, and, mm. and they are inevitable almost. So if you dwell on the mistakes and not on the positives, you won't have a very good career in this job because it's not. It's not. It's going to be very difficult for you if you yeah. dwell on all the mistakes you make. So, I think I know. It sounds like a medal of mistakes now, doesn't it? But it just shows yeah. that you're human, really. Like you said, yeah. we make mistakes in everything that we do, whether it's our careers, our lives, whatever. There's bit. There's times that we do things that we're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But no, don't, don't. I don't want you to feel like you made many mistakes or any mistakes because you took the leap and went to go and help out at a time at the, one of the most difficult times that any of us have ever faced so if if, if it's me I would say that you've done a great job <laughs> I hope so I think that's as I say I left with a sort of a positive feeling about being able to help out which is 
was the reason I went was to I wanted to help out people that were struggling and mm. and that's you know hopefully what I did I've actually since in the last sort of couple of months have volunteered to go back and help again if they want me to but um well that's what I was about to ask would you go back if there was a I would, I would. and you know people they wanted volunteers to go back to ICU yeah I would because it I think there's two things that I felt you know it'd be it'd be a shame if someone went that wasn't happy about going and I think that's, you know, because they, they were asking recently at work whether, you know, they're saying that people might need to be redeployed and things like that. Um, and I thought, well, if I volunteer, that means it's one less person that doesn't want to go, having to go there. And obviously, I've already got some experience, I've already got some training. Um, and as I said, I didn't have a horrendous experience of it. I, it mostly positive. Um, and I'd know the people there, I'd know some of the you know staff, I know some of the, the units that, that are there. So I did volunteer, as I said, to go back and, but the unit where I'm working now wanted to keep me because I am starting hopefully the intensive care course soon. So they didn't want me to yeah. go off for another few months and sort of be back to square one almost with with, um, with my career progression. So yeah. um, they, were, they were grateful, but they're like, no, no, we need to, <laughs> you need to think about you for, it, for <laughs> this time round. Okay. Um, I mean, what I, what I did want to ask just while we're, while we're here, to dispel some of the COVID myths. So number one, anyone can get COVID. So in the sense of on your ward, did you see a mix of age? Yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, there was young, fit people that were on ventilators. I mean, generally there was a, it was older people, but we didn't see a lot of the older people because you know a lot of them a ventilator wouldn't have helped. You know, it wouldn't have been mm. not very nice disease. Um, so yeah, you know, I think the average age they say in, in the IT was about sixty, and, that, and I think that probably we are right. You know, so you've got people you know, twenty years either side of that, and and more probably. Um, you know, there were you know there were similar characteristics to a lot of the patients. You know, sadly, a lot of um, South Asian men seem to be there, and you know there were a lot of people that were overweight, but on the same, you know just because there were a lot of those uh, people with those characteristics, it didn't mean that was the only people that can get it. And yeah, it is an absolute myth that it, <laughs> it mm. only, affects, only affects people with um, other conditions. Most of the people I treated didn't have any other condition. Mm. I think that's just what's more so, so, what, sorry, let me start again. I think that's what's more so even more scarier because you just assume that if it's people, if people with existing health conditions get it, okay you know they're susceptible to catching this but when you hear that people who aren't who don't have any health conditions that are getting this and dying from this I personally think it's a wake-up call like this is not something that is just going to pick certain people it can no. take anyone at any time I mean and that's the thing we have, I think the other thing we have to remember about people with other health conditions is that these are people that would live well into the you know old age you know it's people yeah. with diabetes you know diabetes is well managed and isn't a life limiting yeah. illness it's people with asthma you know you know if you suddenly sort of you know throw all these people to the disease and go well they, they already had a different condition so they deserve almost you know why why should we be locking ourselves up if, it, if they've got another condition you know it's disgusting really when people suggest that because i think you know how, how many of your friends have got diabetes or asthma or yeah you know, high blood pressure or anything like that, you know, it's it's really sort of dehumanising to, to speak about people with another condition as if they are, well, they're going to die anyway or something. Mm. It's, it's really not like that, you know. The, it's 
I mean, it can affect anyone, and it is probably it's obviously more affecting more people with with comorbidities. But we can't write off people with comorbidities. You know, it's, it's yeah, <laughs> you can't. In health service, if you did, you can't at all. What I just want to ask: What would you say to someone considering volunteering if there is to be an, another another surge? I would say, yeah, I think the, the things I'd say is make sure you're in the right frame of mind first. I think that, as I said, it helped me a lot that I was in a sort of stable mental health state and, mm-hmm. you know, quite positive. I think if you are going to go, make sure you do what I did and, you know, ask every opportunity questions, you know, if you're not sure about something, just ask because it's not always the same. You know, there's very different, uh, big differences between babies and, and adults, obviously. Yeah. Um, but don't assume something is the same if because it, it might not be um i would i think i was gonna say i recommended but i think that's a bit, bit, bit sort of a bit more a bit much really but certainly i would see it as not necessarily being a, a negative and that you, it's really i felt very positive once i finished that i was able to help and every day the staff told us all how much they appreciated us coming over to help um and that's something that that was that really did stick with me. The, the, the management, the other IT nurses would would say on a regular basis, "Thank you so much for coming and helping." It's you know, we don't we literally don't know what we do without you. So no. yeah, I think that's it, nice. Yeah, yeah, and it does. You want to hear that? Yeah, you don't do it for that, but you want to hear it because it yeah it does make a difference because it yeah I think it you want to feel like you are helping and and I think when Definitely. you're so good at telling us I think, and as nurses, we are really critical of ourselves. We don't praise ourselves enough. We never put ourselves on a pedestal. So for somebody to come and say, well done, you've done a good job. Your contribution has been so beneficial and so needed. It's almost that reaffirmation that, yeah, it has been a good day, even though to you it's not been the best. But someone outside can come and give you that praise. It goes a long way, for sure. Yeah, I think that's yeah. It's human nature to want feedback. You want to know if you're doing a good job, or you want to know mm. if you've done well. I think you want to know if you haven't done well as well, because it's that not knowing that's the worst thing, isn't it? You want to yeah. know done something wrong. I think. Um, but yeah, I find it difficult working in environments where you're not getting feedback. And thankfully, mm. it was an environment where I was getting a lot of feedback, and that was that was good. Um, one thing I do want to ask is, how do you think the pandemic is going to change nursing? for the future I think we'll have to have more intensive care nurses and bigger intensive care units and I think that's already happening in most of the London hospitals um you know it's not like flu but I think it'll become like flu in, in that we'll have to live with this condition and it'll be probably worse over the winter months yeah. um for years to come and, I, and I, I can't see it being any different and I actually think the sort of lockdown measures I think some of those will have to be reintroduced every winter um do you think so? Yeah, I think just things like the distancing, mask wearing in shops. It'd be like, mm. oh, you know, it's between it's between November and March, so you have to wear a, a mask in the shops now. You know, I think those are the sorts of things that will probably stay around that are easy enough to do, but probably make quite a big difference. Um, mm. You know, maybe not like lockdown as in things not being open, but I think there's certainly the the, the, the measures that they try and, you know, reduce the numbers of infections will definitely, I think they'll have to stay um and as far as healthcare, i think 
I think everyone's suddenly had a crash course on vi- virology because <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's probably a good thing. I think the other thing, there's, there's obviously a lot of positives that come out of it because, you know, how we work, you know, we're not doing handovers in the same way as we used to, and I'm sure it's similar in other places. Um, a lot of red tape's been cut because we've realised we can do without it, and I think that's yeah. really good as well of how people can work together, um, what is actually necessary, and a lot of obviously different... Um, different uh, doctors and nurses from different areas of the hospital have come together so people are always suggesting different ways of doing things and actually yeah. it's probably improves a lot of the way that people work um so I think that they're definitely positive from that point of view um and I think the other side of it is that a lot of the infectious uh diseases and you know infectious conditions that we've had you know will be less so now because they've had that sort of cut off so you know yeah. we've seen less flu over the winter you know, we're probably just going to see less head lice, you know, because kids aren't in schools passing it around. <laughs> you know, there's little things like that that I think will actually have improved because we've been isolating you from, from COVID. I think other sort of less infectious diseases will have probably had a bit of a battering and that's a good thing as well. So hopefully we'll, we'll see fewer infectious diseases on, on the whole over the next few years um, as well. So I hope so. I think, yeah, I think healthcare has changed already you know and I think it will continue to change and um sadly as much as I want COVID to go away altogether I, I can't see it happening and I think it's it's just going to add to that list of viruses that we need to be careful about yeah saying that with Boris's announcement yesterday do you think you're like your own personal opinion do you think he's going or yeah do you think he's going the right way with what how he's in how he's announced things to go down Am I making sense? I think I'm making sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's... <laughs> I generally, I think the roadmap thing idea is a, a good one. I think generally that's... We need to go out of it slowly because otherwise we'll just go back into another lockdown. I think that's the right thing. He's obviously had pressure from various people to just lift the lockdown. And, and mm-hmm. I think unless people can see something in front of them, they don't believe it exists. And that's... Yeah. There's a lot of people in this country that seem to think that because they've not been affected by it, it can't be affecting anyone. And I think there's that lack of empathy sometimes from a group of... Of people but I do like you know I mean it's it's gives hope doesn't it I think what he suggested is giving hope and I think that's really important at the moment that people have hope because I think Mm. if you don't see an end in sight yeah it can be it can make things a lot more difficult so I do like the the stepped approach to to reducing things and and I hope that he doesn't rush to open up because like he did last summer with you know, we had a lovely traffic light system that he came out with, which I thought was really good about when we get to this point, we can do this, when we get to this, yeah. you know, our, our number. And then about two weeks later, it got out the window and we just opened everything up again. Yeah. So I hope he sticks to this one and I hope he he sort of sticks to his guns and, and doesn't change his mind. And um, I'm, I've got a lot invested in this. I'm hoping to get married this summer. So oh, congrats. <laughs> so, but you guys, we, I, hope, I really hope. We're, we're you obviously... Know, we're booked in for at the end of August and uh, I want him to get it right. <laughs> I don't care at all. That would be amazing. So, oh, that's, that is amazing. And congratulations. And what a way yes. to finish like this COVID chapter, you know, ending it with making your girlfriend, your wife and having your family and just having that togetherness. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's obviously quite exciting, but also, you know, I've never been nervy over the last few months uh, planning it. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, worst, I, the worst thing about it is 
the idea of sending out invites and then having to uninvite people because we can't have as many people at the wedding is, is the fear. I think we, me and my girlfriend both have is, is that sort of, oh, no, you're not coming anymore because there are only about 50 people there. As it stands, it's unlimited, potentially, yes. by that point in the year. And I think that would be, I think that, you know, that, yeah, as you said, it's, it's hopefully something for people to look forward to. Yeah. You know, just to our families and friends and stuff. So, yeah. Um, so my personal interest in, in getting it right this time and not going back into lockdown is pretty big. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. And I, I'm happy for you and your girlfriend. Like, congratulations. I just really <laughs> hope, like you said, he gets it right and we can have a proper summer that doesn't throw us back into some sort of lockdown or with restrictions. <laughs> but no, I think that wraps us up for today. Thank you so, 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 so much for coming on and talking to us about your experience with Reader. Thank you for having me. Thank Anytime. you for having me. It's been it's been really I've really enjoyed it, actually. It's been fun. It's been nice to sort of chat about it with, with other nurses. Um, it makes yeah. a difference as well. It does make a difference, yeah. So, um, yeah, hopefully people that listen get a bit out of it and, you know, might think about going and volunteering to help out. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Um, but, yeah, it's been it's really, really, really enjoyable. Thank you. No, no, I'm glad. Thank I'm glad. you. Do you have any social medias that people can contact you on if they wanted to find out a bit more about your experience? Uh, yeah, on Twitter, I think it's at Rob Nestor, N-E-S-T-O-R. Um, so I'm quite, I do bits of nursing stuff on there and mostly personal stuff. But um, yeah, I'm often re- re- retweeting things that, that, um, that are medical or, or uh, not, not anti-vaxxer, basically. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. Perfect. So guys, you heard it first here from Rob himself. If you want to, you can contact him via his Twitter account and we'll keep um, put his Twitter details in the in this week's post so that people can contact him. But until next time, guys, thank you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode and enjoyed hearing Rob's story. And until next week, take care. Goodbye, guys. Bye. Mm-hmm.